Well, here we are, the, um, the week of Thanksgiving. This week we do gather together and we celebrate Thanksgiving. For most times it's a, it's a gathering together with family and friends and good food and good fellowship. But I think ultimately we need to be reminded that it's a time in which we need to pause and express gratitude to God for all of His blessings. Just like we're called to be generous people, uh, we're called to be grateful people. And in the influent culture in which we live today, that's, that's not always easy. So we have to develop a spirit of gratitude. And so we're challenged today to do so. But yet at the same time, when everything that takes place in our life, we always want to know if we have to make a commitment to it, what's in it for me? Well, researchers have discovered that gratitude does not uh, something that you just express or do, but it also has some tangible benefits in your life. They have discovered that it can lower your blood pressure, it can improve your immune function, and facilitate more efficient sleep. And so I think those are some challenging reasons why you might want to uh, develop a spirit of gratitude in your life. Well, today we celebrate Thanksgiving here with gratitude expressed for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And we'll do that as we look at Scripture and then as we celebrate together uh, the Lord's Supper with the bread and the cup. We celebrate what Jesus Christ did on the cross with gratitude to bring about our salvation that He purchased on the cross. I want you to look with me at the Gospel of John in chapter 19 at his account of the crucifixion. And we'll begin in chapter 19, verse 17. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. A gripping and compelling account, though not as graphic as in some other of the gospel accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when we come to look at this to express our gratitude for the cross, the first thing you need to remember is that this battle on the cross was intentional. And Jesus wasn't a victim. But he was willingly fulfilling 
God's will for his life that was decreed before the foundation of the world. In fact, Jesus said, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up, this command I receive from my father. You see, Jesus Christ came to earth to go to battle for you on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and you could experience salvation. And everything that we're going to point out about why we should express gratitude for the cross, he did for you. And you need to have a heartfelt sense of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for you. I just want to mention four things very quickly. Number one, on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. The Bible teaches us all the way through that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And this blood that had to be shed for the ultimate forgiveness of sins had to be the blood of the perfect sacrifice, and that was only Jesus Christ. All the way through under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we see that there were multitudes of sacrifices made, many different animals, doves, goats, lambs, and bulls. But when Jesus began his public ministry, John the Baptist saw him and pointed to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus came as our lamb, the perfect lamb, to be sacrificed once and for all for our sins. So when Jesus went to the cross, he went in our place. He went in your place. He went in my place. And he offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. The Apostle Paul would write in Colossians and say, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. Secondly, Jesus freed us from the penalties of being a lawbreaker. You see, under the law, we were all guilty. We had all fallen short of the glory of God. And under the old covenant, if you obey the law of Moses, which nobody could do to the perfect letter of the law, you were blessed. But if you broke just one iota of that law, then you were guilty and you had to pay the penalty. And it was commonly referred to as the curse of the law. And in Deuteronomy 28, the scripture says, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all the commands and decrees I'm giving you, all these curses will come on you. And then some of those curses that are listed are this. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Well, where are you going to go and not be cursed if it's cursed in the country and in the city? Your basket, your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of the womb, your womb will be cursed. The crops of the land, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks, you will be cursed when you come in and when you go out. That was the penalty of being a lawbreaker. That's not a good way to live, was it? Being cursed. But here's what Jesus did for us. In Galatians 3 we read, Clearly no one is justified before God by the law. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. You see, Jesus died on the cross to set us free from the penalty of being a lawbreaker. 
Peter would write in 1 Peter 2 and say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You see, we, we are enabled to live before righteousness because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Then thirdly, Jesus on the cross united us with our heavenly Father. Peter again writes in 1 Peter 3.18 and says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. You see, what sin had done in our life in relationship to God was that it separated us from God. We were unholy. We were unrighteous. All our righteousness in the sights of God was like filthy rags. And so we were separated from God. He could not have a relationship with us. But Jesus Christ in going to the cross took the penalty of our sins so that we could be reunited with our heavenly Father. As Peter said, he who bring you to God. In Matthew's account of the crucifixion, when Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up his spirit, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And it was probably a thick, heavy curtain, four to six inches. And it was there to to separate the people from the Holy of Holies. And only the great high priest would go in there once a year into the Holy of Holies. And it was that separation between God and man because of sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain was torn from by God's hand from the top to the bottom. And when that sacrifice of Jesus was finally paid, the curtain was torn, meaning that the wall, the separation between God and humanity was torn down. And it means today that we have direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ as we believe in Him. So when Jesus died on the cross in our place, He forgave our sins to unite us with God, to bring us into that relationship with God that whether we realize it or not, that's what we all need. We have to have it. We have to have that relationship with God. And then the fourth thing that Jesus did on the cross is that he defeated Satan and all the powers of darkness. Satan's only power over anyone is the power that they allow him to have in their life. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The word that's used there for destroy means to completely abolish, to do away with, to make void. That's what Jesus did on the cross with the power of Satan. He made it void. And the only power and the only authority that Satan has over anybody is is because people allow him that place in their life. We look at two recent tragedies, the shootings in Las Vegas, the shooting a couple of weeks ago at the Sutherland Springs, Texas church. Both of those shooters were deranged individuals who had allowed Satan to take over dominance in their life. No believer, true believer in Jesus Christ, can ever be dominated and controlled by Satan because Jesus destroyed Satan's power on the cross. That's why we're admonished by the writer James to submit yourselves to God, then resist the devil and he will flee from you. See, Satan flees because he has been defeated. As we read in John's account, the crucifixion of Jesus, as Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished in his last words. 
It's one word in the Greek, tetelestai, which means it's paid in full. It's a word that was written across legal notices, bills that were passed due. Anything that had been paid in full had tetelestai written across it. That's what Jesus said when he died on that cross. He said, I have paid your debt in full. He did so so that we could have peace with God. That's why we express gratitude today for the cross. And as we celebrate communion today, we do so with a spirit of gratitude. Because on the cross, Jesus defeated death. He stripped Satan of power. He broke the power of sin. He took on the principalities and powers of darkness that had held the human race as hostage, and he set us free. And he did all of that for you. And today you're called to remember that with gratitude as we share in the Lord's Supper, partaking of the bread and sharing in the cup. We do so with gratitude for the cross.